If you've been with us the last few weeks, we know we're doing a little three-part mini-series on the church. And if you have not seen the first two, you can see those on our website. Just go to the media link there, click on that, pick up those previous two, and get this full series here on the church. Now, again, we're going to focus in on the church at Antioch today. Remember, we jumped right in the middle of Acts chapter 11 last week. And we saw there in Acts chapter 11 that there were Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who were forced out of Jerusalem because of the persecution that broke out against followers of Christ. As a result, some of these followers of Christ went into other areas and they ended up, some of them, in Antioch. And in Antioch, they started sharing Christ and they even shared Christ with non-Jews, with Gentiles. And to their surprise, many Gentiles in Antioch came to trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. And as a result, a church was born in Antioch, primarily of non-Jews, of Gentiles. Yet this Gentile church experiences great overflow of God's work, of salvation. It's an amazing experience. And word travels all the way back to Jerusalem about what's happening in Antioch with all these Gentiles. And the Jewish Christian church, the church in Jerusalem, decides to send a representative to Antioch to check things out. And Barnabas was that representative. And he goes into Antioch. When he walks into Antioch, what he states that he sees is the grace of God. So in Acts chapter 11, verse 23, we see that Barnabas goes to Antioch to check out things in the church. And what he reports, having seen, is the grace of God. And it made him rejoice. He saw what God was doing and he rejoiced. Now, several of the things that we looked at last week in order to see more even about ourselves and the grace of God at work here were the fact that people were coming to know Christ and those who came to know Christ were helping other people come to know Christ. When Barnabas saw that happening in Antioch, he said, I'm seeing the grace of God. And so we talked about what we've seen here at Southside in that area and how we want to increase the visibility of the grace of God by reaching more people for Jesus Christ. And we saw how the church in Antioch discovered needs that were going to be happening at the church in Jerusalem. And so they, out of their means and out of what God had given them, they took up money and they sent it on back to Jerusalem. And we also saw that Paul and Barnabas were called out of the church at Antioch, that God's Spirit said, I want you to take these two guys that have been pouring into you here at Antioch, and I want you to send them out to places that have never experienced the visibility of God's grace like you have in Antioch. And so that's what they did. They sent those two guys out, and those guys go out on what we call Paul's first missionary journey. And so they go out, and they go to these cities that have never experienced the grace of God, and they share the gospel, and people come to Christ, and churches started in multiple cities. Now, Paul and Barnabas make their way through all these cities, and they eventually come back to Antioch. And I want to pick up our story when they come back to Antioch, and I want to pay attention to what they do and what they say when they get back into Antioch. All right, so let's look at that. Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 21. So Acts 14, verse 21. After they preached the gospel to that city and they made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. So here they come back into Antioch, and here's what they were doing. Strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed and fasted, 
They commended them to the Lord to whom they had believed. And then Paul and Barnabas left Antioch. So when Paul and Barnabas arrive in Antioch, we get a little description here of what they're doing when they get back to the church at Antioch. And what they're trying to accomplish here is that the people in the church are strengthened. Why do they want them to be strengthened? Because they do not want the church at Antioch to not continue to increase the visibility of God's grace. What they want is for the visibility of God's grace to be increasing in a sustained way, just to keep on increasing for the life of the church, just displaying God's incredible grace. And so they're trying to help that happen. And specifically, the first thing you see here is that they are strengthening and specifically encouraging them to continue in the faith. Paul and Barnabas wants the church at Antioch to keep on staying true to the gospel of Jesus Christ through which they were delivered and saved. Now, if you're reading this, you might want to remember more passages in the New Testament about Antioch. Because if you were living in Antioch and you were at the church at Antioch and you heard Paul and Barnabas say, stay true to the faith, remain in the gospel. Don't let anything deter you or get you away from what it means to follow Christ. You would probably be remembering an occurrence that happened in Antioch earlier. We can read about it in Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, Peter is in Antioch, Paul is in Antioch, and there's some other Jews in Antioch that have come to visit this primarily Gentile church, and there's a little issue that happens while they're all there together. See, before these Jews, these Jewish Christians showed up in Antioch, Peter was there hanging out with his brothers and sisters in Christ, Gentiles. And they're having a great time together. They're eating together. They're sharing Christ together. I mean, it's an amazing time where they're all in the same faith. They're all on the same page. They are unified in the direction they're going and how they're getting there. And then all of a sudden, these outsiders come in. They show up. And Peter gets up from a table where he's hanging out with Gentile believers. And he walks away from them because he is now feeling uncomfortable. Because there are other Jewish people there who would say Gentiles are not as good as we are. So Peter's in that situation. He gets up and he walks away and gets away from them. And Paul comes in and sees what's happening. Paul says, what in the world are you doing, Peter? Do you, do you really want the Gentiles to become like us? Because, because as Jews, we couldn't get it done. It took Jesus Christ to save us. We're just as messed up as anybody else in the world. They're not worse than we are. We are not better than they are. We all needed a Savior. We all sinned against God. And we need Jesus Christ to rescue us all. And we're on the same team here. And what you're doing is wrong. And what was happening at that moment in Antioch was a threat to the sustaining increase of the visibility of God. And right then and there, they had a corrective. We need to get on the same page. We need to stay together in the gospel for the sake of Christ and his glory in the church. And we need to sustain this increase in the visibility of grace of God. And it took them getting back on the same page. So if you're in Antioch and you hear about we need to continue in the faith, you're immediately thinking we need to stay together. And we need to believe the things about Jesus, not let anything deter us from that. So let's think about what that allows us to see here at Southside. 
One of the things I love about Southside at this point in our experience together is that we have a high degree of unity, high degree of hanging in the faith together, pursuing the Lord together. And I love that. I want to tell you, as I've observed ministry and people and experiences over the years, that that what I think one of the most single greatest threats to us continuing in the faith as a body of believers, to staying unified, one of the single greatest threats is this word called preference. I remember years ago, there was a lady who would sit way in the back. She's an older lady. She'd sit way in the back by nobody else. Sometimes if there are people sitting in the back, she'd just stand in the very back. And I noticed that any time that she and I had conversations, it would only occur if nobody was around. And I thought it was a little strange. Until one day she told me, the reason that I sit in the back away from everybody and the reason I don't come and get into big groups of people on Sunday morning is because I am highly allergic to cologne and perfume. I was like, well, okay. That really puts a whole different perspective on the fact that you're actually coming to church where I suspect the majority of people are wearing some kind of deodorant, or cologne, or perfume. I mean, outside of the, you know, eighth grade boys down here, I'm pretty sure most of us are wearing something that makes us smell better, all right? And uh, so, so, so here's the deal that I thought was so cool about this story. Not one time did she come up and say to me, would you please tell people from the stage to stop wearing cologne and perfume because I cannot stand it when that happens. She never came up to me and said, you know, I've tried to get along with people here and, and nobody cares that I can't stand cologne and perfume and so I'm going to the first odor-free church down the street. She never said that to me. She never did those things. You know why? Because she understood that there are some things she might prefer that have very little to do with the gospel and the church of Jesus Christ. And she found a way to make it work. Through the years here, I've seen multiple staff members hired. I've seen three worship pastors. I've seen four youth pastors. I'm going to tell you what happens every time we hire a new worship pastor, a new youth pastor. Well, the previous youth pastor, he had hair. I like that, but this current one, he has no hair. He shaves his head, and I just don't like that. I'm sure that's going to affect the way he leads our students. Next thing you know, my kid will be wanting to shave his head. And all of a sudden, what comes to the surface when we have a new person is our preferences. Because the new person doesn't do what the old person did. The new person doesn't do it like the old person did. And all of a sudden, we have this issue with what we prefer. You know what's threatened when we do that? Us staying in the faith. What we have to be is a people that says, I am going to make sure that my preferences don't become so primary that I'm unwilling to see the plan of God in the person that God's brought here. We, We saw it with the worship pastor stuff. I promise you, we saw it a lot. Well, he doesn't even know how to sing this song. or even, I asked him to do this hymn. He didn't even know that hymn existed. I like the old guy better than the new guy. I mean, we, we heard a lot of things like that through the years, way back. You know, I'm talking about years ago. I mean, Jamie's been here for seven years. Kurt's been here almost ten years. I mean, we haven't heard any of that kind of stuff for a lot of years. But that was there early on when all these transitions were happening 
And there were issues with preferences that surfaced through that whole thing. And what we had to decide was, do we care more about the gospel or do we care more about our preferences? Well, specifically with um, some of those transitional issues, we had this family meeting. This is about 10 years ago. And uh, so we met in here. There's was, was a lot of people in here for this family meeting. And people were angry. People were yelling. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was your typical throwdown Baptist, uh, we hate life kind of meeting. It was bad. And I'll never forget sitting down there in the front row watching this thing unfold and thinking, Lord, you're going to have to do something because there is no way, there is no way that we're going to come out of this and be okay if you don't act. And I'll never forget towards the end of that meeting, something really profound happened. There was a guy that was sitting on this side of the worship center. And he wasn't one of those guys that everyone knew. He wasn't one of those guys that was so involved in everything that everybody respected. He was just a guy that was here experiencing the chaos with everybody else. And he just stood up and he just said, I'm not sure what we're doing here, but I really am sure that we should all be deciding to follow Jesus Christ and the leaders God has called us to follow. At that point, the entire room is like this, this significant spiritual shift. The entire room just, it clicked. And what happened in that moment as I look back 10 years ago was that that was the watershed moment when Southside Baptist Church decided as a group, we will no longer make our preferences primary. We will make the gospel primary. And what you're experiencing today is the fruit of that decision. And and I want you to remember that you're not unlike what caused the issues of the past. Because all of us have preferences. Okay, let's just get real honest. When you walked in today, you saw Clancy up here singing and leading worship. How many of you thought to yourselves, oh, where's Kurt? Why isn't Kurt here? I like the way Kurt sings. Anybody? I mean, I love Clancy. Clancy did a great job. Okay, one honest guy out there. The rest of you are liars. And my third point will have to do with lying, okay? I mean, we all have preferences, right? And there's nothing wrong with them. I'm not telling you that your preferences are evil or wrong. They're not contrary to Jesus until they become more important than Jesus. You see, what we've got to do if we're going to respond to this visibility of God's grace, and if we want that to increase here, what we've got to say is, It doesn't matter what my preference is. What matters is what Jesus' plans are. Because what I really want to do is follow Jesus more than anything else. The good news is you have reminders all around you of that very thing. You're probably going to hear in the months to come of a family in our church. I don't have permission to give you their name or I would do it. But they're right now, they're in seminary. They are, they, they're in our church, they're doing studies online, they're going through interviews, they're making every preparation to leave Abilene and go to another country overseas thousands of miles away into a culture that is vastly different than Abilene's culture. You know when they arrive in that foreign country, what is going to hit them incredibly hard 
is the fact that all of their preferences about the United States are not in the new country. There's no more hamburgers and french fries. There's no more Mexican food. There's no more pizza. You know all the big priorities we have about. Now they could at that moment decide, pack up our bags and let's go back home because our preferences, we can't live without those. Or they can decide that following Jesus is far more important than anything I might prefer and be about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. These are people right here that we do life with and they're going through that and we get to be encouraged by them. Maybe you're not someone that believes God's calling you to go. Maybe you know that God's called you to stay and you want to be a sender. You want to be about helping people go but you know God's called you here. And I just wanted you to be reminded that you have reminders of that kind of mentality of I'm called to stay but that does not mean that I get my preferences. I still have to be the same mentality that the gospel is more important. Following Jesus is more important than what my preferences are. So you can just look around and a lot of times they're gravitating towards this side of the room. And uh, some of our senior adult uh, folks here, they've been here in our church 30, 40, 50, 60. Is that about right? 60 years? Something like that. So why don't you come up and ask some of these folks sometimes. Um, how many... How many changes have you endured over the decades at Southside? And you better plan to spend several hours hearing about the changes that have occurred in their lives. But you know what you're going to hear again and again and again come out of their mouths? I wouldn't have done it like like that. I, I, I wouldn't have had it like that. That's not really what I want it to be like. But you know what I found out? If we want to reach people for Jesus Christ... I can't hold so tight to what I want that I miss what God is doing. You have these encouragements around you every day. And we have to be a church that says we are going to make sure we remain in the faith no matter what. Now notice the next thing that they say to encourage them. This is specifically their words. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. If you think about, hey, I want to have a meeting with you after church. I want to sit down. I want to really encourage you. I want to make sure that you, you stay in there and you're going to be exactly what God wants you to be. And you come in and you sit down and you're thinking, man, this is going to be so encouraging. And the first thing out of my mouth is, life is really going to stink most of the time. I thought you wanted to encourage me. And isn't it interesting that the, the very thing that comes out of their mouth when, when they want to encourage them to remain true is life is going to be hard if you follow Christ. The, the, the road to the kingdom where you reap all that Jesus Christ gained for you is a road that is seasoned with difficulty. Now why is it that Paul and Barnabas would want them to get that? Well, because it's a reality. It is a reality that if you don't get, you'll begin to blame God for your difficulty instead of find God in your difficulty. It's a reality that's going to happen that if you don't understand it from a biblical perspective, you're going to reap the fruit of sin and brokenness, which is death. But if you understand God's perspective on what you're going to encounter as a follower of Christ, you will reap through faith in Jesus Christ's life, even in the midst of difficulty. 
You see, he, they wanted Antioch Church to get this so that when the Antioch Church encountered difficulties, they would understand what God was promising he would do with the difficulties. Think about how profound it is that God tells them in advance, trouble is coming. It's so profound because if God tells them in advance, when the trouble comes, do they have to think for one second whether or not God is in on this? Whether or not God has a plan in this? Whether or not it matters to God that they're hurting? Whether or not it's important to God that things didn't go the way they thought they would go? No, they were already told, which means the things they could not forecast, the things they did not know, the things that did not feel good or come out the way that they wanted to do, that those things were actually a part of the very plan of God. And if they're actually a part of the very plan of God, it might be that through those things, God wanted to bring something about that completely redeemed the intent of brokenness. See, the intent of brokenness is to bring death, but God turns that intent upside down and brings out of that same brokenness grace, the visibility of His grace. See, what God does is He takes the difficulties that are a part of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, and makes them an ingredient so that the the visibility of God's grace is sustained in our lives for the long haul. He purifies our faith. So we trust him more and he's glorified even more through us. He takes the inevitable that the world dishes out to everybody and he redeems it in the life of a believer. He takes the attacks on us because we follow Christ, and he redeems it in our lives so that we trust Christ more, not less. So we see the visibility of his grace increase, even in difficulty. You know, the early years here at Southside were very hard for me, personally. They were hard for our family. They were hard for a lot of people in our church. There are a lot of difficult transitions and difficult occurrences that happened in the first several years here at Southside. Many of those things had nothing to do with me. It had so much to do with what had happened before I came. But as I look back on all those difficulties, and many of them, I wondered why in the world the Lord brought me here to go through them. Many of them, when I look back on, I can see specifically why God brought me here to go through them. And I can summarize the answer to why God brought me here to go through them by telling you that I am not the same man I was when I came. That I trust Christ more and I follow him better because of those hardships. And I'm convinced that many times the visibility of God's grace is at its best when times are perhaps at their worst. Because God just chooses to use those difficult times to bring something out that no one can mistake for anything other than the grace of God. And I just want to encourage us. At a point in time when we are experiencing relative peace, and I mean, this is a great time to be a part of life at Southside. It is so incredible. I love what's happening in our church. I just want to remind you, please do not think that having no problems, challenges, or issues as a church body or as an individual is the norm. The norm is that we will encounter difficulties, we will encounter unexpected things, and they are blessings from God so that we might be deepened in our faith and He might be better glorified here. 
embrace this. This is how God sustains the increase of the visibility of his grace. Notice the last thing that he says here. In verse 23, he says, When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Paul and Barnabas commend the church to the Lord by way of turning the church over to elders who lead the church. Most of you here know what we talk about when we say elders because you've been here for a while. But for those that maybe you don't know exactly what we mean when we say elders, I just want you to know they're not appointing strictly old people. Now, some of them might have been older, but this term elder is not used to convey age. It's used to convey a role in the church. This is one of several terms used in the New Testament that talks about leaders of the New Testament church. Pastor, shepherd, elder, overseer, bishop. I mean, all of these terms are used synonymously, interchangeably to convey roles of the ones we call pastor or elder here at Southside. And the roles of our elders, the roles of our pastors are to oversee, to care for, to show concern, to encourage, to equip, to teach, to protect. And what's wonderful about Southside is we have adopted a biblical principle here. And it's conveyed right here. They went around to each of the churches, and in each of the churches they appointed elders. They appointed a plurality of leaders to oversee and lead forth the church to follow Jesus. Okay, think about this. Is it easy to stay on the same page as a a group of people trying to follow Jesus Christ? Or is it challenging to battle our preferences and the issues that occur with us? I mean, isn't it challenging? Okay, so is it easy to follow Christ when things become difficult? Is it easy to follow Christ when the unexpected happens? Is it easy to follow Christ when things don't go the way you think they should if you're a follower of Christ? Are those things easy? No, they're not easy. None of that is easy. So what has God done? Is He has placed over us a group of godly men who share the leadership responsibilities together so that as a body of believers, we might be encouraged to stay together and remain in the faith with with godly spiritual authority over us. We are encouraged to stay in the faith, to remain in the faith, even when things don't go the way we think they should. We have people in our lives who oversee us called elders or plurality of leaders who are there to encourage us to stay true to Jesus no matter what, to make sure the thing that binds us together is the gospel, to say no to the preferences that don't need to be paid attention to, to get the preferences in there some way that need to be paid attention to, to make sure that we're following Christ, make sure we're orienting ourselves to the difficulty of what's happening, to keep on following Christ. The Lord blesses the church with a plurality of leaders. And we've done that here at Southside. We're just like Antioch in that sense. We've looked at the scripture. We said we need a plurality of leaders to to lead us. And so years ago, we did that. And guess what? Today, you are reaping the fruit of over 15 years of a plurality of leadership. You know what's done for us here in this place? Because of a plurality of leadership in this place, we are in a great place spiritually. We are in a great place financially. We are in a great place in ministry. We are in a great place in vision for reaching the world. 
You know why all of that is in places? Because years ago, somebody said, shouldn't we pay attention to what God's word says? And if God's word talks about a plurality of leadership, should we not strive for that here at Southside? And that's exactly what happened. And you're reaping the fruit of that today. It also means that when we have a plurality of leadership, that the responsibilities of our body of believers do not fall on one person, but it's spread out over many people. And that is a huge blessing to the church. It also means that any time that something's going on as far as decisions are being made, direction is being determined, do you know not one person is making decisions about where this church is headed? There's not one person says, I think this needs to be happening. That's what everybody's going to do because I said it needs to happen. That's not what's happening here. We have a check and balance in place where we have eight elders who are seeking the Lord and not any one of them is doing what God has not confirmed all of them to do. We have a group of godly deacons who are set to, to complement the, the leadership of our elders. We have a plurality of leadership that is, that is filtering down and being a blessing to everyone because together we have a check and balance to make sure we follow the Lord. It's not perfect. It's not without its challenges. It's not creating a perfect product at all times because we're people. But I can tell you this, we are completely and totally blessed by the oversight that God has brought into this place so that no matter what happens, we will be able to follow the Lord. No matter what any one of us might prefer, we will see a charge to follow Jesus Christ and His plan. And as a result of all of that, we will sustain in this place the increase of the visibility of God's grace for God's glory in the church and for the joy of his people all over the earth. When, when Barnabas walked into Antioch, he would have walked down the main street of Antioch and it would have been absolutely mesmerizing. When he walked down that main street, you know what he would have seen? He would have seen Herod the Great's expansion project. He had poured all these kind of resources and money into expanding Antioch. When Barnabas walked into Antioch, he would have seen this two and a half mile long street. And on the sides of that street, he would have seen thousands of marble, polished marble uh, columns along with porticos. It would have been absolutely astounding for him to walk down that street of Antioch. But apparently that didn't catch Barnabas' attention. What caught Barnabas' attention was the visibility of God's grace in the church. If you and I were to go to Antioch today, if we were to walk in that location where that street used to be, at best, do you know what we'd see? Just a bunch of ruins. Nothing but crumbled rock. Because that kind of glory doesn't last. It's fleeting. It's like a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But every single Sunday you walk into this place, every single Sunday you walk into this place, you get to see the true wonder of Antioch. The visibility of the grace of God. See, the glory of God is not fleeting. The glory of God is worth your life. And Jesus Christ gave his life so that you could make a decision to follow him no matter what.
And I'm here to tell you, there is nothing like giving your life for the glory of God and the increase of the visibility of God's grace in the church for the glory of God, for the joy of all people. That's the opportunity that's before us today.